All right, well, I am wanting to begin that series I told you guys about, um, the biography of Jesus. And so I kind of thought for some time how I wanted to start it and <clears throat> where to begin. And as I, as I thought about that, I kind of realized, you know, if you take any biography off of a shelf and open it up, I mean, where do they always start? <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, you, you, usually it's, it's either maybe the parents before, but usually it's the birth. Usually it's whenever this guy is born and how he grew up and his early life and his childhood and all of those things. And so I realized that that's where most biographies start, but in, this, in the case of this one, it just it wasn't going to work. And you know, it's, it's actually quite interesting because I don't know if you've ever realized this, but all four of the Gospels, of course, are, are giving somewhat of a biography of Jesus. They're telling his story, but none of them actually begin right at the birth of Jesus, right? Matthew is initially concerned with what? The genealogy, right? Matthew is initially concerned with uh, Jesus' lineage, where he's coming from. Where does Luke initially begin? Anybody remember? <laughs> That's right. The foretelling of John the Baptist. And then Mark. Anybody know what happens in Mark? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole, the whole intro scene is skipped altogether, and we're, we're just thrusted right into the middle of the story where Jesus is already fully grown and, and starting his ministry. So none of those three give us the right out of the gate the birth of Jesus. And, and all of those... All of those starting points are perfectly good starting points, of course, for the, the authors intended to start there, and they're, they're divinely inspired starting points. But the fact of the matter was, even though that is the case, it just it didn't seem fitting to begin there. But praise God, we have four Gospels. <laughs> and um, that fourth Gospel gave me, I think, the right place for us to begin. John's gospel, of course. He begins at the beginning. <laughs> and it seemed a, a very fitting place to begin at the beginning. But the real reason I want to go here is because although John begins his gospel with those words at the beginning, we come to realize that we're, we're put into a place where there is no beginning. We're, we come to find out that the person who John is speaking about, the word, has no beginning. So that's why I want to go there. Um, a couple of things before we begin. It is important that we, that we get this view of this person, Jesus, because the one whom we're speaking about is unlike any other person. Every other biography that you take off your shelf, every other biography can begin at birth because every other person's existence essentially does begin at their birth. But it is not so with our Lord. And I recognize that we do have um, existence before our birth as the you know, child is being knit together in the mother's womb. But even if you go back that far, even if, if you go back to the beginning of the human experience as a multi-celled microscopic zygote, there is only one person in all of existence whose history predates all of that. That's why we, it's not proper for us to begin at his birth. Because he didn't begin at his birth. He, did, he never began. He just always has 
been. And that's why we need to go back here. The Lord of glory entered in to his creation, but his entering in to his creation was not the beginning of his existence. And so we need to go back into eternity. So I want you to look at John chapter 1. Open up there. We begin, there's going to be a lot of beginnings here in this message, (laughs) but we begin this series at the beginning of John's gospel, where he speaks of the one who has no beginning. And we're going to spend almost our entire time here. I didn't really want to spend all of our time here. There's a lot of other things I wanted to deal with, but the fact of the matter is this passage gives us something just honestly absolutely majestic that I really want us to be able to take in and grasp and and understand. And we'll actually get far more out of this passage than I intended on us getting. Uh, My point in going here is for us to see the eternality of the Lord, and we're going to get a lot more out of it. But I want you to see all that John has for us. And listen, some of this is going to be very technical. (laughs) This is going to be uh, a lot of phrases that are theologically packed. And so for this, I know I don't typically do this. A lot of my preaching is not so much uh, rigorous theological concepts. A lot of times when I'm preaching, it's exhortation, it's encouragement. It's, you know, let's just go to a passage where it's really clear and just be stirred up to go out and do it as God's people. But this is not going to be exactly the same kind of thing. And so we need to put our thinking caps on because this is not an easy passage. And the fact of the matter is, brethren, look at you, you find these big mountains and people have climbed them. You think of Mount Everest, right? It's not easy to get up there. But once you get up there, there's, there's good things to see up there. You're able to see things that most people haven't seen before. And so as we do this, I, track with me here, all right? This is, this is a hard passage, but there's glorious things for us. So I'm just going to read uh, these first three verses, and then we'll hang out here for a little bit. John 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And so right out of the gate, John takes us, intends to bring us to the beginning. It's the beginning of all things as we know them. It's the beginning of time, the beginning of space, the beginning of creation, the beginning of everything. Anything that you can think of, it is the beginning of. It's, of course, the same beginning that we read in our readings in Genesis, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So think back as far as you can go to the very, very, very beginning. Maybe maybe you don't know what it looked like, right? Nobody here knows what that looked like. but, But you can get the concept. You can grasp the idea. The beginning where all things started. It's a starting point, right? And 
And we can understand that kind of thing. If my son wants to put together a puzzle, what does he do? He goes and gets it, and then he puts it out, and he begins to put it together, right? He starts pushing, putting the pieces, you know, putting the corner pieces and the edges and doing whatever, you know, you do to put a puzzle together. And so we understand that kind of thing. Starting points, we get that stuff. Beginnings, we like to think that way. We're finite creatures. We were created. We have a beginning. And so we like beginnings. We can grasp the fact that John is bringing us to the beginning point, the starting point. But we are not left there by John. We're, we're, we're comfortable, right? Because that is not the reality of all things. That is our reality, but it is not the reality of this person of whom John speaks. And so although John begins by taking us to the beginning of created things as we know them, we sort of get our feet situated there. Oh, beginning. We know beginning. I like beginnings. I know what that means. Starting point. Here we go. We're moving forward. We get put there and immediately John thrusts us out into eternity where we have no place to put our feet because we don't understand anything of what that realm is. And he does this with a three-letter word, was. John says, in the beginning was the word. Now, the word is the, the person whom John is speaking about, and we're going to deal with that in a minute, but just lay that off to the side for a second and consider this word was. Many translations, does anybody have a different translation that says a different word there in that verse, John 1, 1? Everybody says was. Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, a lot of other translations translate this existed past tense. And so what you have is this idea that in the beginning or at the beginning was already the word, the one who is John, who John is calling the word in the beginning existed already past tense, the one who is the word. And so our minds, of course, begin to think, well, John, you already, you already brought us to the beginning. We're already at the beginning. How can there be a was already if we're already at the beginning? The beginning is the beginning. The beginning is a starting point. And John says, no, it is the beginning of some things, but it is not the beginning of someone else. John is saying something else was already before whatever the beginning is. How can something predate whatever the starting point is? Well, it's because, of course, like I said, the beginning that John gets at here is not the beginning of all existence whatsoever, but it is the beginning of all created existence, all things as we know them to be. In this case, the word predates the beginning. The beginning that John is talking about comes from the one who already was. He's not part of the beginning. He is the cause of the beginning. The beginning comes from him who already was before it. It's, the, it's, it's everything. Everything that comes now following comes from him who already was. And I want you to see the connection here with what we read in, back in Genesis chapter 1. Because this is where John is trying to draw our minds back. That's why I had those readings back to back there. John is wanting to draw us back to that Genesis account. And in that account, 
I don't know if you really noticed it. You probably didn't because, because in Genesis, it's automatically assumed. And so when we read it, it's automatically assumed. But God's pre-existence before all creation is not proved in Genesis. It's just an automatic reality that they just, it just assumed. It says, in the beginning, God created. Well, brethren, you can't create if you're not already. He's already there. How can you create unless God already was? It doesn't say in the beginning God came into being. It says in the beginning God brought everything else into being. And so we're taken into this realm where God, who was already existing, did something. At a point in, in the entire history of, of who we are and who the universe is and what it is, at some point God said, I'm going to make. But he was already before all of that. Think of it, brethren. Back there in eternity, <laughs> before anything was, God was. No world, no space, no time, no nothing. Just God. And just God for all of eternity. I mean, this is, this is a reality that is essentially impossible for us to grasp, for us to understand. Because the finite mind cannot grasp the infinite. The time-bound creature can't understand the eternal. We just can't get it. We can't wrap our minds around it. We are time-bound people. We were made in time. We were placed into a universe that was created in time. We are people who have a beginning in time. Everything we do is related to time. We have lifespans. Our history goes back to a certain point in time. Each person's life will end in this world at some point in time. We are just bound in by time. And the reality is for someone like us to recognize and understand a God who is totally outside of time. He's just outside of it. He has, it's this, the time realm in which we live is not where God is. He is literally outside of time, outside of creation. It's incomprehensible, brethren, a God. This is the kind of God we have, a God who has no reference to things like that. He just always has been, always will be, forever, in both directions of eternity. And we try, we try to somehow grapple with this, right? We think really, really, really far back, as far back as we can go, right? We can go back even to the beginning of creation, right? Like I said, John brings us to the beginning. We can get that. Okay, the beginning, the, you know, boom, everything now moves forward in creation. And we can take ourselves there all the way back to the beginning. And then even if we go way further back, you go back to the very beginning of creation and then go 400 billion trillion years backwards in that direction continuously. You know what you'd find when you got all the way that far back? You're no closer to God's beginning than you were at the start because there's no beginning over there. There's nothing to get to. It just goes forever and ever and ever. How can you comprehend it? I mean, how can you, can you get your arms around it and wrestle it to the ground? You can't, brethren. It's like a man trying to carry an elephant in his arms. He can stare at it all day long, but he can't ever pick it up. The infinite God, the eternal God, 
This is who John is trying to get our attention upon with his allusion to Genesis. But notice this. John is not just trying to get us to think back to Genesis where, oh, there's the beginning and there's God somewhere over there making the beginning. He wants us to look back there, but what he wants to do is place another there with God who was before the beginning and is the cause of the beginning. He wants to place another there with him who is himself God. And John is going to call him the Word. It's a shocking reality. God began his book saying, in the beginning, God. And here comes along John and says, in the beginning was the Word. Well, obviously, John is wanting us to see that the Word, this person who he calls the Word, when he speaks of him, he wants us to understand that he is no less than the divine being who is back there in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God was already. And in the beginning, the Word was already. Now, we're not told right away if you notice here, I read these first three verses, and there's, there's no name. <laughs> We're not told in these verses right away who this person is that John is talking about, at least not in explicit terms. And John does this for a reason. I do want to deal with why John uses this language. Whoever he's talking about, why is he calling him the Word? We're going we're gonna to deal with that. But let me just state five very important truths about this person whom John is talking about. And then afterward, we'll look at why John is using this kind of language. I want you to see, brethren, it's not random. It's not intended to be confusing, although it can be confusing. But it is intended for God to display himself in his glory and to tell us how it is that he has made himself known to man. And hopefully, as I do explain to you, the use of the language by John, you'll get a glimpse of who he is that he's talking about. But these five basic realities, they're, they're right there in the first three verses. Five basic truths concerning the one who John is calling the Word. The first one is this. John says the Word was already before the beginning. This is astonishing, brethren. Eternal existence. And we saw back in Genesis 1 that there is only one who was before the beginning, right? And John is saying this one was before the beginning, before creation. Number two, John says that the Word was with God. Now, the, the, um, one of you will have to tell me what the actual phrase is there in Greek, because I don't know it. But I know basically the idea, what it means, is that the language doesn't just mean with, like, you know, the Woody's Roundup type of with, with the arm around him. The, the with is this sense of, of intimate face-to-face -face fellowship with. That's the idea. Intimate relationship and communion. That's what John is saying. This one was in that kind of relationship. Brethren, astounding. Perfect, intimate fellowship with God from eternity. Number three. He says that the word was God. Now this is... This is extraordinary, folks. The word that John speaks of is the very same God 
and yet, in some sense, distinguished. Because he can be with God and have fellowship with God. Number four, he tells us that the word, now this is, I tried to think of a better way to phrase this, at least right at the start, and I can't come up with a better way. So I'm going to say this and then I'll explain it. He tells us that the word is a he, not an it. Look at this, verse two. He was in the beginning with God. Now, I'm not saying that in terms of trying to make some point in regards to gender. What I'm saying is John uses that kind of language to make a point in regards to the word's existence. The person who he is talking about as the word, he talks about him as a he. And the reason for that is he is trying to say that this word exists in a personal way. The word has personhood. Think about it like this. Who John is talking about is not just a reference to a thing. It is a reference to a person. The word has identity. Identity distinguished from God in some way. And yet also God himself. Number five. He says all creation comes through the one whom John is calling the Word. We saw that in verse 3. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. So He is the Maker and Lord over all that exists. So I want to deal with this question, okay? Of course, we're, we have to ask ourselves, all right, John, what in the world does all of this language mean? What do you mean when you say, in the beginning was the Word? Why don't you just tell us who you're talking about? Why do you have to use this sort of cryptic kind of language? Well, he does tell us who he is a little bit later on in these verses. But I want you to see John's purpose here. Why does he say it like this? John is using, really, and as I began working on this message, I was very frustrated with this language. (laughs) Because, Because it's very hard to try to bring out with clarity what John is getting at. And sometimes what we don't like we don't like when either the gospel writers or uh, the historical accounts in the Old Testament start using poetry because we kind of think to ourselves, no, you're supposed to just be, just give me the strict message. I don't want the poetry because then I get confused. But we got to let people speak. We got to let people, the, the Spirit of God work in people and how they, how they desire to communicate something. And as I've come to realize this, John is using here some beautifully poetic language. He speaks of this person who is both with God and was God, and he calls him the Word. And now John does this because what John recognizes is that words, things, the, the things that we speak out, they are the external expression, if you will, of what is within a person, what is inside. We know what someone thinks and in who they are by what they say, by the words that they use. Words are, to some degree, a, a communication, a representation of who we are internally. And you know what? This is not just the case 
in regards to mankind, but this has been the case in regards to God through all of history. Because if you go back to the scriptures, you know what you find there? You find God speaking, even from the very beginning. We have a God who has spoken. We have a God who has sought to communicate to his creation. He's not just far out somewhere. He has a God who made and then wants to communicate to his creation, to let them know who he is and what he has done. He has spoken to his people. And you know what? When he speaks, you know what we get? We get a revelation and a declaration of who God is when he speaks. When he speaks, he's communicating to us his very nature. He's communicating to us his plans, his purposes, his decrees, his promises, his expressed will for men, his righteousness, his creative power, all things related to truth, God speaks them. And when he does so, we have a revelation of who he is through the words that God has spoken. Brethren, we have come to know in some small degree who God is. You can't know perfectly who God is by just, by just some words, but you get a pretty good idea who God is by what he has spoken and what he has said. And so his words have been a revelation of himself to us. And so what John is wanting us to do is to make a connection here in the way he's using this verbiage. Words that God has spoken about himself have always been how we have known who this one true God is. And what John is wanting us to see, what John is desiring to do is put on full display a person. And he's going to call him the Word. And he's going to call him the Word because just as words have been the expression of the one true God, the one whom John now speaks of, this person, is the fullest expression of the one true God. He is the Word in the sense that He is the perfect display and outward revelation of the invisible God. That's why He's the Word. John says, in the beginning was the Word. But you know what? If we, if we paraphrase this a bit, to help you kind of see what John is getting, we might say it like this. In the beginning was the person who was and is and always will be the perfect expression and revelation of God himself. And this person has always been with God and has always been himself, God. And so John uses this beautiful language to take us into a place where we are able to see how is it that God has revealed himself to man? How is it that God has reached out into the world and sought to make himself known? And ultimately, he has done so through the one that John is calling the Word. John calls him this Brethren, he's drawing on this rich idea all throughout the Old Testament where God has communicated through words who he is. And John wants us to see that it is in this person that God is communicating to us. 
It is in this person that God is communicating who he is in the fullest sense. This person is the perfect expression and revelation of God Almighty. Brethren, if we truly want to see who God is, we need not look anywhere but this one whom John calls the eternal word, the eternal self-expression of God who has been made flesh. And that's where we end up in verse 14. Look at this, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, this person who John is calling the word, he's both with God and yet is God, and he took on flesh and he dwelt among us. And in him is the fullest expression of the divine being. Far more, brethren, than any words could ever produce. Even words from God himself. Words, brethren, can only go so far. And God has sought not to let himself only be displayed in a word, but to display himself in a person. In a person. God taking on flesh. And yet, we still haven't answered the question. <laughs> Who is he? Who is John talking about? <clears throat> well, brethren, you know who he is. You know who he speaks of. We know who this eternal word is. We know who this expression of the divine being is. <clears throat> we know who this eternal word is. He's the one of whom John says in the text, we have seen his glory. He's the one John the Baptist testified about. He's the one through whom grace and truth came, as he says there in verse 17. Brethren, he's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This one, Lord Jesus, is the one whom John speaks. He is, brethren, the fullest expression of the revelation of who God is. You remember what Jesus told his disciples, if you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. He is the one. As John says in verse 18, He is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. That's how we know God, brethren, through Jesus Christ. The eternal Word. He who was the expression of the divine being from the beginning 
the expression of his nature, his character, his, his decrees, his laws, his promises, all other things, brethren, they are the one who we know to be, Jesus Christ. That's who John speaks of. He is, as Hebrews 1.3 says, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. You get that? The radiance of His glory. He's the exact imprint of His nature. If you want to know who God is, you look to Jesus Christ. You get an exact imprint, not a little bit off. Exact. He is, as Colossians says, the image of of the invisible God. Brethren, you want to know why it is that God doesn't want us making images to worship? Because Jesus Christ is the only image of God. You don't know what He looks like, but He is the only image of the invisible God. In Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians 1.19 Paul writes to the Corinthians and he tells them, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, that unbelievers' minds are blinded from seeing the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He is himself the image of God, Paul says. Brethren, in the beginning, God spoke and there was light. And that light that came forth said something. It was a revelation about who God is. But you know what? Through the Lord Jesus Christ, God has spoken again about who He is and through Him has brought an even greater light. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. So that was in the beginning. God said, let light shine and boom, light came. The God who said that has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Brethren, we know who God is by this man, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, as I said at the start, we were going to get a lot more out of this than I intended. <laughs> we came here um, looking for the Lord's eternality, and we got all the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and praise God for it. But I want to return our minds here for a moment just to this particular point the eternality of our Lord now as I said at the beginning here it was not proper for us to begin in his birth and you can see why he didn't begin in his birth he predates all of that he predates all of creation the person whom John speaks was already in the beginning with God Whatever eternal existence God has in Genesis 1-1 is the same eternal existence that the Word has in John 1-1. They are the same. And John calls Him the Word only in the sense that He's the perfect expression of the one true God. But He was, brethren, in the beginning with God. He is the Son of the living God. He is the second person of this Trinitarian being. He came as a man. We know him, the man Christ Jesus. But that, brethren, was not the beginning of his existence. In the beginning, he was already. And you know what? We know that he was already. And we know that he is eternal. Because, as it says here in, in verse 3, 
that he's the maker and the creator of all that exists. It says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's kind of interesting. John kind of, kind of brings it to us from both angles, sort of in case we miss the point, right? He says, all things are made through him. He could have just said that. But he's basically, is, you know, in case you missed that, nothing that exists exists without him having made it. He kind of hits us from both sides there. We're told in, in Colossians 1, by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He's always existed before everything. Not just, not just earth and the created realm that we see, but all things. Colossians says, whether visible or invisible, anything, whether you see it or whether you don't see it, whether it's, 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 it's principalities and angels and demons and all the stuff that you don't see, he is before all of that stuff. And maybe you say, well, okay, yeah, it speaks of him as creator in all those passages, but how, how does that necessarily mean that he's eternal? It doesn't necessarily equate to the same kind of thing, and that would be true. But the connection is found in this. In the Old Testament, you go back and you find that, that God in general is spoken of as the creator. But you know what? All of those passages that speak of him as creator, they don't just say he's the creator. What they do is they recognize that because of the fact that he is the creator, he must be the eternal one. That's how they all recognize it to be. Listen to a couple of these. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. You see this? They're always connecting the two. He's everlasting, and that makes him the creator. Listen to this, Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever that you had laid and formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So you see this. The creator they're recognizing is eternal. He must be. And then we find out in the New Testament that who's the creator? Jesus, Jesus is. We got revealed to us in the New Testament that this one is the creator of all that exists. And that makes him what, brethren, as the creator? The one who is from everlasting to everlasting. He's eternal, brethren. And this is who we're dealing with. And now listen, as I just end here. Over the course of this sort of biographical series, we're going to see a lot about who this Jesus is and what he did, what he taught. But brethren, we have got to keep this most basic reality before our minds. The one whom we adore is no mere creature. He's not one who just came and did a bunch of wonderful and glorious things. However good that biography might be, it is not good enough. The one whom we adore is the eternal one. His existence is from everlasting to everlasting. And so the next time when we see him in that manger... You have got to know he came there only by stepping down out of eternity and that's how he's there 
but he is from everlasting, brethren. <clears throat> Let's pray.